0: Part One, Chapter Twelve of *In Desert and Wilderness*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. *In Desert and Wilderness* by Henrik Syngevitch, translated by Max Anthony Dresmal. Chapter Twelve it was their longest journey for they rode with small interruption for eighteen hours only real saddle camels having a good supply of water in their stomachs could endure such a drive idris did not spare them for he really feared the pursuit he understood that it must have started long ago and he assumed that both engineers would be at its head and would not lose any time danger threatened from the direction of the river for it was certain that immediately after the abduction telegraphic orders were dispatched to all settlements on the banks directing the sheikhs to start expeditions into the interior of the desert on both sides of the nile and to detain all parties riding southward chamis assured the others that the government and engineers must have offered a large reward for their capture and that in consequence of this the desert was undoubtedly swarming with searching-parties the only course to pursue would be to turn as far as possible to the west but on the west lay the great oasis of karga to which dispatches also could reach and besides if they rode too far west they would lack water after a few days and death from thirst would await them and the question of food became a vital one the bedouins in the course of the two weeks preceding the abduction of the children had placed in hiding-places supplies of durra biscuits and dates but only for a distance of four days journey from medinet idris with fear thought that when provisions should be lacking it would be imperatively necessary to send men to purchase supplies at the villages on the river banks and then these men in view of the aroused vigilance and reward offered for the capture of the fugitives might easily fall into the hands of the local sheikhs and betray the whole caravan the situation was indeed difficult almost desperate and idris each day perceived more plainly upon what an insane undertaking he had ventured if we could only pass aswan if we could only pass aswan he said to himself with alarm and despair in his soul. He did not indeed believe chamis, who claimed that the Mahdi's warriors had already reached Aswan, as Stas denied this. Idris long since perceived that the white Ouled knew more than all of them, but he supposed that beyond the first cataract, where the people were wilder and less susceptible to the influences of Englishmen. And the Egyptian government, he would find more adherents of the Prophet, who, in a case of emergency, would give them succor and would furnish food and camels. But it was, as the Bedouins reckoned, about five days' journey to Aswan over a road which became more and more desolate, and every stop visibly diminished their supplies for man and beast. Fortunately, they could urge the camels and drive with the greatest speed for the heat did not exhaust their strength during daytime at the noon hour the sun indeed scorched strongly but the air was continually invigorating and the night so cool that stas with the consent of idris changed his seat to nell's camel desiring to watch over her and protect her from catching cold but his fears were vain as dinah whose eyes or rather i improved considerably "'watched with great solicitude over her little lady. "'The boy was even surprised that the little one's health thus far "'did not suffer any impairment, "'and that she bore the journey with ever-decreasing stops as well as himself. Grief, fear, and the tears which she had shed from longing for her papa "'evidently did not harm her much. "'Perhaps her slightly emaciated and bright little countenance was tanned by the wind.' But in the later days of the journey she felt far less fatigued than at the beginning It is true that Idris gave her the easiest carrying camel and had made an excellent saddle so that she could sleep in it lying down Nevertheless the desert air which she breathed day and night mainly gave her strength to endure the hardships and irregular hours Stas not only watched over her but intentionally surrounded her with a worship which notwithstanding his immense attachment to his little sister he did not at all feel for her He observed however that this affected the Arabs and that they involuntarily were fortified in the conviction That they were bearing something of unheard of value some exceptionally important female captive With whom it was necessary to act with the greatest possible care Idris had been accustomed to this while at Medinet so now all treated her well They did not spare water and dates for her the cruel geber would not now have dared to raise his hand against her Perhaps the extraordinarily fine stature of the little girl contributed to this and Also that there was in her something of the nature of a flower and of a bird and this charm Even the savage and undeveloped souls of the Arabs could not resist often also when at a resting-place she stood by the fire fed by the roses of Jericho, or thorns, rosy from the flame and silvery in the moonlight, the Sudanese, as well as the Bedouins, could not tear their eyes from her, smacking their lips from admiration, according to their habit, and murmuring, Allah, Mashallah, Bismillah! The second day at noon after that long rest, Stas and Nell who rode this time on the same camel had a moment of joyful emotion Immediately after sunrise a light and transparent mist rose over the desert, but it soon fell Afterwards when the Sun ascended higher the heat became greater than during the previous days At moments when the camels halted there could not be felt the slightest breeze so that the air as well as the sands seemed to slumber in the warmth in the light and in the stillness the caravan had just ridden upon a great monotonous level ground unbroken by cause when suddenly a wonderful spectacle presented itself to the eyes of the children groups of slender palms and pepper trees plantations of mandarins white houses a small mosque with projecting minaret and lower walls surrounding gardens all these appeared with such distinctness and at distance so close that one might assume that, that after the lapse of half an hour the caravan would be amid the trees of the oasis. What is this? exclaimed stas. Nell, nell, look. Nell rose and for a time was silent with astonishment, but after a while began to cry with joy. Medinet to papa to papa! And stas turned pale from emotion. Truly. Perhaps that is Karga, but no that is Medinet perhaps I Recognize the minaret and even see the windmills above the Wells In fact in the distance the highly elevated American windmills resembling great white stars actually glistened on the verdant background of the trees They could be seen so perfectly that stars keen sight could distinguish the borders of the veins painted red That is Medinet stas knew from books and narratives that they were on the desert phantasms known as fata morgana and that sometimes travellers happen to see oases cities tufts of trees and lakes which are nothing more than an illusion a play of light and a reflection of real distant objects but this time the phenomenon was so distinct so well-nigh palpable that he could not doubt that he saw the real medinet there was the turret upon the mudir's house there the circular balcony near the summit of the minaret from which the muezzin called to prayers there that familiar group of trees and particularly those windmills no that must be the reality it occurred to the boy that the sudanese reflecting upon their situation had come to the conclusion that they could not escape and without saying anything to him had turned back to Fayoum but their calmness suggested to him the first doubts if that really was fayum would they gaze upon it so indifferently they of course saw the phenomenon and pointed it out to each other with their fingers but on their faces could not be seen the least perplexity or emotion stas gazed yet once more and perhaps this indifference of the arabs caused the picture to seem fainter to him he also thought that if in truth they were returning the caravan would be grouped together and the men though only from fear would ride in a body But in the meanwhile the Bedouins who by Idris's order for the past few days drove considerably in advance Could not be seen at all while Chamis, Riding as a rearguard, appeared at a distance not greater than a vulture lying on the ground Fata Morgana said stas to himself in the meantime idris approached him and shouted hey speed your camel you see medinet he evidently spoke jokingly and there was so much spite in his voice that the last hope that the real medinet was before him vanished in the boy's heart and with sorrow in his heart he turned to nell to dispel her delusion when unexpectedly an incident occurred which drew the attention of all in another direction at first a Bedouin appeared running towards them at full speed and brandishing from afar a long Arabian rifle Which no one in the caravan possessed before that time Reaching Idris he exchanged a few hurried words with him after which the caravan turned precipitately Into the interior of the desert But after a time the other Bedouin appeared leading by a rope a fat she-camel with a saddle on its hump and leather bags hanging on its sides a short conversation commenced of which stars could not catch a word The caravan in full speed made for the West it halted only when they chanced upon a narrow core Full of rocks scattered in wild disorder and of fissures and caverns One of these was so spacious that the Sudanese hid the people and camels in it Stas, although he conjectured more or less what had happened lay beside idris and pretended to sleep hoping that the arabs who thus far had exchanged but a few words about the occurrence would now begin to speak about it in fact his hope was not disappointed for immediately after pouring out fodder for the camels the bedouins and the sudanese with chamis sat down for a consultation henceforth we can ride only in the night in the daytime we will have to hide, spoke out the one-eyed Bedouin. There will be many kors now, and in each one of them we will find a safe hiding place. Are you sure that he was a sentinel? asked Idris. Allah! We spoke with him. Luckily there was only one. He stood hidden by a rock, so that we could not see him, but we heard from a distance the cry of his camel. Then we slackened our speed and rode up so quietly that he saw us only when we were a few paces away He became very frightened and wanted to aim his rifle at us If he had fired though, he might not have killed any of us the other sentinels would have heard the shot So as hurriedly as possible. I yelled to him Halt We are pursuing men who kidnapped two white children and soon the whole pursuit will be here The boy was young and foolish so he believed us only he ordered us to swear on the koran that such was the case we got off our camels and swore the mahdi will absolve us and bless you said idris speak what did you do afterwards now continued the bedouin when we swore i said to the boy but who can vouch that you yourself do not belong to the outlaws who are running away with the white children and whether they did not leave you here to hold back the pursuit and i ordered him also to take an oath to this he assented and this caused him to believe us all the more We began to ask him whether any orders had come over the copper wire to the shakes and whether a pursuit was organized He replied yes and told us that a great reward was offered And that all calls at a two days distance from the river were guarded and that the great barbers steamers with Englishmen and troops are continually floating over the river Neither the barbers nor the troops can avail against the might of Allah and the Prophet May it be as you say Tell us how you finish with the boy? The one-eyed Bedouin pointed at his companion Abu Anga he said asked him whether there was not another sentinel nearby and The sentinel replied that there was not then Abu Anga thrust his knife into the sentinel's throat so suddenly That he did not utter a word we threw him into a deep cleft and covered him with stones and thorns in the village They will think that he ran away to the Mahdi for he told us that this does happen May God bless those who run away as he blessed you answered Idris Yes, he did bless us retorted abu Anga, For we now know that we will have to keep at a three days distance from the river and besides we captured a rifle Which we needed and a milk sheep camel? the gourds added the one-eyed are filled with water and there is considerable millet in the sacks but we found but little powder Chamis is carrying a few hundred cartridges for the white boy's rifle from which we cannot shoot powder is always the same and can be used in ours. saying this idris nevertheless pondered and heavy anxiety was reflected in his dark face for he understood that when once a corpse had fallen to the ground Stas's intercession would not secure immunity for them from trial and punishment if They should fall into the hands of the egyptian government Stas listened with palpitating heart and strained attention in that conversation There were some comforting things especially that a pursuit was organized that a reward was offered and that the sheikhs of the tribes on the river banks had received orders to detain caravans going southward the boy was comforted also by the intelligence about steamers filled with english troops plying on the upper river the dervishes of the mahdi might cope with the egyptian army and even defeat it but it was an entirely different matter with english people and stas did not doubt for a moment that the first battle would result in the total rout of the savage multitude so with comfort in his soul he soliloquized thus even though they wish to bring us to the Mahdi it may happen that before we reach his camp there will not be any Mahdi or his Dervishes But this solace was embittered by the thought that in such case There awaited them whole weeks of travel which in the end must exhaust Nell's strength and during all this time They would be forced to remain in the company of knaves and murderers At the recollection of that young Arab whom the Bedouins had butchered like a lamb fear and sorrow beset stars He decided not to speak of it to Nell in order not to frighten her and augment the sorrow She felt after the disappearance of the illusory picture of the oasis of Fayum and the city of Medinet He saw before their arrival at the ravine that tears were involuntarily surging to her eyes therefore when he had learned everything which he wished to know from the Bedouin's narratives, he pretended to awake and walked towards her. She sat in a corner near Dinah, eating dates, moistened a little with her tears. But seeing Stas, she recollected that not long before he declared that her conduct was worthy of a person of at least thirteen years. So, not desiring to appear again as a child, she bit the kernel of a date with the full strength of her little teeth, so as to suppress her sobs Nell said the boy Medinet that was an illusion But I know for a certainty that we are being pursued so don't grieve and don't cry At this the little girl raised towards him her tearful pupils and replied in a broken voice No stars I do not want to cry only my eyes perspire so but at that moment her chin began to quiver from under her closed eyelashes big tears gushed and she wept in earnest however she was ashamed of her tears and expected a rebuke for them from stars a little from shame and a little from fear she hid her head in his bosom wetting his clothes copiously but he at once consoled her nell don't be a fountain you saw that they took away from some arab a rifle and a she-camel do you know what that means? It means that the desert is full of soldiers. Once these wretches succeeded in trapping a sentinel, but the next time they themselves will get caught. A large number of steamboats are plying over the Nile also. Why, of course, Nell, we will return. We will return, and in a steamer to boot. Don't be afraid. And he would have comforted her further in this manner. Were not his attention attracted by a strange sound coming from the outside from the sand drifts which the hurricane blew onto the bottom of the ravine It was something resembling the thin metallic notes of a reed pipe Stas broke off the conversation and began to listen after a while these very thin and mournful sounds came from many sides simultaneously through the boy's mind the thought flashed that these might be Arabian guards surrounding the ravine in summoning aid with their whistles His heart began to beat he glanced once and again at the Sudanese hoping that he would behold consternation on their faces But no Idris Geber and the two Bedouins calmly chewed biscuits Only shamis appeared a little surprised the sounds continued after a while idris rose and looked out of the cavern returning he stopped near the children and said the sands are beginning to sing Stas's curiosity was so aroused that he forgot that he had determined not to speak to idris any more and asked sands what does it mean it happens thus and means that for a long time there will be no rain but the heat will not distress us since as far as aswan we will ride only during the night and no more can be learned from him stas and nell listened long to these peculiar sounds which continued until the sun descended in the west after which night fell and the caravan started on its further journey End of chapter twelve